One day, in the midst of what seemed an endless journey, I was walking along the path when I encountered another traveller sitting by the way. He looked up as I approached and smiled an open, friendly smile. His face seemed familiar and his eyes expectant as he beckoned me to rest on the perch beside him. Now I have seen many people on this road before, have travelled with many, lost even more. But for some time I had been on my own, tired and dreary, I was thankful to not be alone for the moment. Where are you going? he asked. And the question surprised me, because on this straight and narrow path there was but one way to go. Towards the king, I answered. This is the only way. It was a truth that I knew fully, but the traveller seemed to be expecting something more, something more that I should say. The traveller surveyed me and sadly shook his head. You do not look like someone who's going to see the king. I flushed with embarrassment and looked down at my rags. I had been given brand new clothes at the beginning of my journey, but the straight and narrow path is a difficult path to follow. Sometimes I had gone astray, and the purity of the white linen had been tarnished along the way. It's not your attire I'm referring to, he said. I am looking at your eyes, your expression, your posture. You do not look like someone who is going to see the king who set you free from captivity. Is this not good news? Yes, of course, I responded automatically, but too quickly. Truth be told, I had not thought too much about the gospel since I had been saved, only really when I needed to, but I thought I knew it. I knew it was the good news of Jesus Christ, the king's son, and what he had done. But I looked down at my feet. Even though it had set me free, I just didn't have the passion that others seemed to have for something so long past. As if he read my thoughts, the traveller said, to grow in your passion for what Jesus has done, you need to increase your understanding of what Jesus has done. What does that mean, I asked. It means that reminding ourselves that the gospel is the most important daily habit that we can establish. I do, I lied defensively, and I have a very good grasp of the gospel. The traveller gently put his hand on my shoulder. He knew that I was lying, but there was no condemnation when I looked into his eyes. His next words were soft but encouraging. Never be content with your grasp of the gospel. The gospel is life-permeating, world-altering, universe-changing truth. It has more facets than any diamond. Its depths no man will ever exhaust. I had never heard someone speak of the gospel in such a way. I felt my back straighten, my breath quicken, and the hairs on my arms stand up. I wanted to know more. The personal desolation Christ experienced on the cross, he continued, is what you and I should be experiencing, but we're not. Instead, Jesus bore it, and he bore it alone. But why alone, I asked. He's alone so that we might never be alone, especially on this path. Walls inside me broke, and tears began to stream down my face.
tears of amazement. I no longer felt tired, I felt renewed. The traveller stood and held out his hand to help me stand again. His smile beamed down at me and there was such truthful kindness in his eyes. You look like something has sparked within you. Yes, I exclaimed. Something has. And I think I'm ready to continue going now. Before you go, he says, of first importance. The king's words tell us that while there are many different callings and many possible areas of service in his kingdom, one transcendent truth should define our lives. One simple truth should motivate our work and affect every part of who we are. Christ died for our sins. If there is anything in life that we should be passionate about, it should be the gospel. And I don't mean passionate only by sharing it with others. I mean passionate in thinking about it, dwelling on it, rejoicing in it, allowing it to colour the way we look at the world. Only one thing can be of first importance to each of us, and only the gospel ought to be. Then he pulled me into embrace and continued to lead the way. Wasn't that fantastic? What a talented woman, hey? Uh, the gospel, we're going to talk about this for the next few weeks. John Dixon says that the gospel is one of those words that is so basic, so fundamental to Christian life, that it can be taken for granted. It can become the term for just about anything at all in the Christian faith. Gospel can become so full of the meaning I want to put into it that it can be em emptied of meaning altogether. Like the word love in popular music, gospel can mean everything and nothing at the same time. And I think Cindy's poem hit at that really well. If you've been in church for a long time, the word gospel is probably one of the most familiar words you've ever heard. If you're coming to church and you're looking at Jesus or you've just started following Jesus, you're going to hear this word a lot. And like love in pop culture, gospel can be in the church a similar word. It means everything, but it can also become so familiar that it means nothing. The Christian story or the Christian faith is a big story. It's God's big story. It's God's story of the universe. And we all have a story. You grew up somewhere. You have some friends. You do something for a job. We all have a story. God has a story. And his story covers creation to the end of time. It's an eternal story that goes forever. And at the center of God's story is the gospel. The essence, the core of God's story is what we call the gospel. The Apostle Paul says at the beginning of his letter to the Romans, he wrote this to all the house churches that lived in Rome, even though he had never been to Rome. And he begins his letter in verse 1 and says, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle, sent out to preach this good news or gospel. Everyone say gospel. God promised this good news or the gospel, everyone say gospel again, long ago, long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news, the gospel, is about his son, capital S, because it's Jesus, 
In his early life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, Paul's touching on elements of the story of God. It was prophesied long ago. This story has been going for a long time. This person, Jesus, was God, but he was also a particular person in a particular place at a particular time in history. We know his family line. We know his parents. We know his, we know his blood. King David, he's from that line. We know where he was born, in Nazareth. We know his parents, Mary and Joseph. Even God's story has many details. Matthew, the apostle Matthew, the disciple Matthew, he tells his version of the story about Jesus. It's called the book of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. And there's four men who write books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about God's story, centered on the gospel, which is the center, the core of God's big story. And each of their four stories are a little bit different, although lots of them have crossovers. John's story about Jesus is mostly different from the other three stories about Jesus, but they're all kind of biographies of this man, Jesus Christ. At the start of Matthew's gospel, he says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. So he takes God, Jesus, and he puts him in a family line and in a place, and then he tells his story for 28 chapters. Mark says in verse 1 of his story about Jesus, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began, has anyone heard a story that starts with that? In the beginning, it began one day, just as the prophet Isaiah said. So again, Mark says, this story's been coming for a long time. We're just reaching a climax in Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out 10 days after Jesus has ascended to heaven and they're waiting for 10 days, what's going to happen next? And then the Holy Spirit comes from heaven to earth and people are deeply affected by the Holy Spirit. And Peter stands up to explain the story. What's going on here today in Jerusalem when all these people are being affected by the Holy Spirit? And he says in verse 22, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth, a particular person. He wasn't just God, but he was a Nazarene. By doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. You see, everybody knew the story about this guy, Jesus, who seemed like a prophet, but he got crucified 50 days ago. Peter's explaining, this Jesus who you've all heard about that caused the ruckus and then the Roman officials nailed him to a cross, he actually is God's own son and he actually rose from the dead and because he rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit has been poured out and this message is for the Jews, for Jesus' own people and this message is for the Gentiles beyond Jerusalem and he goes on to tell the story. The gospel is the climax of God's story that ends in glory. The gospel is the announcement of what God has done through the birth, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a great definition of the gospel. If you want to understand the core of what we're talking about, what the Christian faith is, what it means to follow Jesus, it's this good news announcement of Jesus' birth, ministry, death, and resurrection. To put it another way, it's the cradle... It's the cross and it's the crown. 
The gospel is the center of God's big story from in the beginning in Genesis to all of eternity. And the center of the story is Jesus was born in a manger. Jesus died on a cross. He lived and then he died on a cross. That was his ministry, which Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all explain in detailed form. And they didn't just hear it. It wasn't just hearsay. They saw it with their own eyes. They told stories that they were a part of. That's the cross bit. So Jesus divinity, Jesus um, actually living on the earth is a provable fact because people saw it and they wrote it down. And then the crown represents the time that we live in now. It's everything from the resurrection when Jesus came back to life for all of eternity. Jesus is the king of all the universe. Within God's big story, all of humanity finds themselves. And within God's big story, all of humanity finds themselves, but lots of humanity don't recognize that God's story is going on. We all have a story that we're living. There's something special in us, a touch of the divine, that we all want to do something great with our life. Nobody's here this morning thinking, I want to do something rotten with my life. When I grow up, I want to be a mafia boss or a, or a, or a, or a murderer or, or just a horrible person. No, there's something in us that we want to be great. We want to do good. We want our life to have meaning. We want to contribute something to the world. But we find our story is in the context of God's story. And as a Christian or a follower of Jesus, we believe that within God's big story, we have a story that's part of his story and his story can become part of our story. But I want to suggest to you this morning that there's kind of two storylines that most people follow. Now I'm going to try and take seven billion people that live on the face of the earth and kind of categorize them into two things. So this is not going to go well. And there's going to be a lot of broad strokes and a lot of generalizations here. But I want to suggest to you that certain kind of people tend to live story A, which is live the right way and you'll find glory. You'll find success Things will be bright. You'll feel happy. The world will be a great place. Story B is a little bit different. It's live and let live and we'll find glory. I'll live my life. You live your life. I respect you. You respect me. And we'll all have a great life together. Both stories are really relevant. Both stories are founded in solid Christian principles. Living the right way is an important part of following Jesus. We're trying to be righteous, which is to be right in how we live. But also story B is equally valid. We shouldn't be overreaching into people's lives and judging them and telling them what to do and locking them in prison if they don't do it our way. Like there's an element of that that is true. Jesus came to set people free to live their life. But both stories without the gospel at the center do not end in glory and do not end in a great place. You see, my story was so much more of a story A than a story B. My story as a young man revolved a lot around sport. So for me, my story ending in glory was all about soccer. And that's me playing soccer back when I used to be able to run and be fit. And I, three times, three times I came within a whisker of becoming a professional athlete. At 19, I was in London playing with a professional team. Later on that year, I was in Switzerland with a professional team. And I came back to Australia and had a great season. I ended up in Perth with Perth Glory, having a trial there. Three times I came within a whisker of being a professional athlete. And for me, that was my story, and that was going to be glory. It was going to be fantastic. 
And it's a dream of so many young men and women. It's a dream of so many parents. Like, you know, no one would mind if their son became the next AFL superstar. That'd be great. I wouldn't mind that, going to the AFL, sitting in a box, my son plays for it. It'd be fantastic. And this story is about discipline. And this story is about being good at music, good at dance, good at business, good at sport, whatever it is. But it never quite fulfills that deep desire on the inside of us. One of the story lines, story A lines, is family. To be great is to have a family. To do something fantastic is to have a house, maybe get a bigger house, have some kids, raise some kids. There's nothing better. Surely nothing can be better than having the story of raising our own children. Success is our children growing up and then they have grandchildren and success is them getting into university. And I hear parents talk to me about this a lot. My kid's doing this and my kid's doing that and my kid's really doing well in their job and my kid's at university. It's fantastic. We should take responsibility of our lives and grow up and do something great and buy a house and marry a pretty wife and all of those kind of things. They're fantastic. Or if you stay single and that's what you feel to do, that's fine as well. Live your best life. But still, children will not make you happy at the end of the day. Still, family and a house and all those things at the end of the day, they aren't God's storyline. Another element of story of story, this storyline A is taking responsibility. You know, people who live this story about discipline, and about taking responsibility. And one of my favorite people for teaching us to take responsibility is Jordan Peterson. I love his stuff. And he's about making your bed and taking responsibility and being a bigger, better lobster. And it's a great message, and it's a message that's impacted me. It's impacted many young men. A clear message of how to live a decent life. But without the gospel at the center, this story can still just become striving, works, performance, discipline in order to be better, to be greater, to create the life I want. Without the gospel, storyline A tends to end in burnout, tends to end in mental breakdown, tends to end in a crisis of faith because things don't work out. There tends to be a gap between the reality of our life and what we thought our life would be. And eventually we run out of energy, we run out of juice. We can have all the money in the world, but we run out. We can have fantastic wife and kids and everything, but we run out. We have a great career and people can look to us and say, wow, you're like a mentor to me, but we run out of steam because only the gospel can meet the deep desires of every human heart. You see, this story, story A and story B, they're like a one-chapter story. God's story has many chapters. But this story, if we stop here, has really just one chapter. And Romans 3.23 sums it up well. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Any life, any story, any destiny, anything we try to do without the gospel, without Jesus Christ, ultimately ends in falling short. You see, God has a standard a glorious standard, but no human being was ever and has ever and will ever be able to live up to his standard. In Christian language, we call this the fall. We call this when sin came into the world. We call this us trying our best, but always failing. Storyline B is a little bit different. Storyline B is about live and let live. It's about 
where if storyline A is about doing the right thing, and it can become a bit moralistic, and they should do the right thing, and I'm doing the right thing. I did the right thing growing up. I sowed, I should reap. Well, storyline B is very different. It's more about breaking the rules. It's more about being the bad boy. It's more about being the prodigal son in that story in Luke 15. It's more about rejecting what the world tries to put on us, what our parents tried to tell us to do. It's where the artists live, let's be honest. It's where the... uh, the rogue ones live. It's where the ones that want to live on the margins, that don't like to fit into the mainstream. And often it doesn't seem to be as many in the church these days, the rule breakers. Jesus was a rule breaker. He broke every rule. That's ultimately why he got crucified on the cross, because he kept breaking, not the Roman rules, he broke the established religious rules of the day. Jesus tended to hang with those that were on the margins, the poor, the unlovely. Jesus was about equality. Jesus was about raising up the marginalized. And this kind of fits well with story B. It's much more about their story and my story and our story and how we can all grow together. And this is probably the main story that we find is coming in our culture or is in our culture. And Elsa from Frozen sums it up really well in her famous song, Let It Go. She says, be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go, let it go, let it go. We know it well, the song. Every child knows this song. And this is the message. This is the message of the world that we live in. It's more of a let live and let live type message. Don't push stuff down. Be who you're really meant to be. This is the message of expressive individualism, autonomy, be yourself, be independent. Everyone will try to oppress you, but just open up, just live your life. And there's a great Christian message in this because Jesus came to say, have a destiny, live a great life, do something fantastic. So there's a Christian truth in here, but without the gospel, it becomes corrupted and soured. She goes on, and I won't sing it for you, but and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits, to break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Again, a great Christian message that can easily become corrupted without the gospel. It's World Pride Week this week. And for the first time, the World Pride event has come to Australia. And it lines up with the Mardi Gras that everyone knows about in Sydney that happens every year. There's a picture of it. And I was reading about their story this week. I've been listening to some podcasts from gay and lesbian Christians who are doing, there's a lot of Christian events, there's a lot of conferences, there's a lot of things happening during this World Pride event for Christian gay and lesbian people. So I've been interested to know that perspective because that's not the world I've lived in and that's not something I know much about but I want to understand how people follow Jesus and reconcile that with their sexuality because it's a common question that people are asking today and asking of the church. And I don't want to assume I know, but I want to learn because that's what's part of being a Christian is learning and growing. Anyway, the World Pride event has come to um, come. So I was looking at their story this week to understand what's behind this thing. And I found this great article in the ABC and it talks about the 78ers, I don't know if anyone knows that term, the 78ers. So 1978, 
There's a bunch of gay and lesbian people walk through the streets of Sydney at midnight. And uh, what began as a march, uh, a kind of a pride march, but they didn't really call it that back then, ended up in a, being a, basically a protest. And people got thrown in prison unjustly. People were beaten up by police, even though they hadn't done anything wrong. And this is all part of the LGBT story in Australia. And it was really fascinating actually reading about it. And there was these live interviews of people that are now in their 70s that were there, that were beaten, all these kind of things, and they're telling their story of what it was like. And then from that event, the next year, they started the Sydney Mardi Gras, and that has become a street party that happens every year in Sydney. The interesting thing is, this is a really fascinating thing, does anyone know what Mardi Gras means? Because I didn't know this until this week. But Mardi Gras is actually the French word for Fat Tuesday. Fat Tuesday is actually strove, strove, is that, is that strove, trove, trove Tuesday. Shrove, shrove, shrove. I should have looked at the spelling. S-H-R-O-V-E, Shrove Tuesday. So last week I shared about Lent. Shrove Tuesday or Pancake Day or Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras in French is the day before Lent begins when you eat the sugar and the meat and everything in your pantry because you're going to fast for 40 days and 40 nights leading into Easter. So it was taken from there and it was used... Not just by the guys in Sydney, it actually was done first in New Orleans and they had a Mardi Gras in New Orleans and that's where they got the idea. Now I know for some people, that me even mentioning LGBT in church, I'm surprised no one's walked out yet, because for some people it can be something that's very, very close to their Christian faith and their theology and I understand that and in no way am I saying LGBT issues and theology always marry up because often they don't. But when you're in story A like me, you can do one or two things. You can look at people in story B, which probably your LGBT people fall into that category a bit more, live and let live, tends to be a common encouragement. And you can judge that, and you can be a moralist, and you can be like the older brother in the uh, prodigal son story and say, they have it wrong and I have the truth. Or you can be like Christ, what I believe is to be like Christ, and I'm inviting you to be like Christ, and you can step into their shoes and say, why do they live how they live? Why do people who are different than me think how they think? If you're standing in story B and you think like, oh, I've really got this together, I just love people and I tolerate and whatever, then that can also be a downfall to go, well, those people are just old, stuffy, religious people who don't really understand what it's like to be free. And that can also be a distortion. This is why we need God's story with the gospel at the centre, because all of these stories end in the fall, in sin, and ultimately falling short of God's best. Ivan Illich, an uh, incredible uh, priest, theologian, philosopher, I think he's passed away now, he wrote a famous book called De-Schooling Society, which uh, really shook up the whole uh, education institution. But he said, neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. So reformation would be story A. It's more of a conservative let's reform, let's do better policies, bureaucracy, get things right in society. That won't help. Neither will revolution, which is a bit more of a story B storyline. Let's just chuck out, get rid of the people at the top because they're corrupt, but get rid of the big businesses and the powers that be. Let's start a revolution and transform society. Illich says, neither of those are the way that changes society. Rather, you must tell a new powerful tale 
one so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story, one so inclusive that it gathers all the bits of our past and our present into a coherent whole, one that even shines some light into the future so that we can take the next step. If you want to change a society, then you tell an alternative story. I want to suggest to you, and what I believe with all my heart, is that story A is not the gospel. Story B is not the gospel. There is a third way, a better way, a deeper way. It's what C.S. Lewis, in his famous book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, calls the deeper magic. Do you remember that line? When Lucy and Susan are walking with Aslan and he comes back to life, the big lion comes back to life, and he explains to them that there's a deeper magic that the white queen doesn't know about, a magic from before the dawn of time. There's a third way. There's a deeper way than left or right politics. Those people are right. Those people are wrong. I have the truth. They don't have the truth. There's a better way. There's a deeper way. And it's the good news about Jesus Christ. It looks like this in two chapters, but I want to talk to you about five chapters today. In two chapters, it looks like this. The fall, the chapter I showed you before, which is really chapter two, and then redemption. So we fell short of God's glory, Romans 3.23, Romans 3.24, Jesus came, died on the cross, and we are justified freely by his grace. This is great news, that we fell short of God's glory, Jesus came in God's glory and set us free. There's a problem though, this two-chapter story, it limits, it limits God. What about creation? What do I do now? What's going to happen in the future? There's actually more to God's story than only being justified freely by his grace, although that is the crux. The problem with the two-chapter story is it doesn't explain to us, what do I do now? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're sitting here going, yep, I get the sin bit. I get that chapter. Yes, I get, I'm here because of the redemption bit. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is to accept that you're a sinner, a criminal, rebellious, hostile towards God, but through the cross, God has justified me. Justified means you are sinful and disobedient, but you have been made perfect and clean and righteous, and you didn't do anything to earn it. The weakness in this, if we stop here, is that what do we do now? Where do we go from here? And this is where we need the four chapters of God's story. Although I've left a gap because I want to put five chapters to you today. We have to go beyond the fall, back to the beginning of time. Because redemption doesn't make sense if we don't understand God's original intention. We're redeemed, we're saved, we're justified. Why? Why do we need to be saved? Why do we need Jesus to come? Not only because we're horrible, the fall, but because there was an original purpose that's been destroyed and messed up. Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made and he looked at it and said, it's very good. That was the creation, that was the animals, and that was humanity that he created on the sixth day in Genesis chapter 1. You were created in the image of God to reflect God's glory. He is glorious and you are created to look like him, to reflect glory back to him and to point towards him. 
Animals weren't made that way. Trees weren't made that way. Humans were made in a different way to reflect the image of God. So we talk like God, we think like God, we feel like God, we live like God. And that was God's original plan. But chapter one very quickly turned into chapter two and man was disobedient. So therefore chapter three, Jesus had to come. And this is the good news of the story is that Jesus came because we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it, everyone. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't live a story that was good enough. We couldn't be successful enough. We couldn't hold it together enough. We weren't smart enough. We weren't strong enough. We weren't good enough at doing marriage. We weren't good enough at doing work. We weren't good enough at raising kids. We kept falling short of the standard. So Jesus came. Jesus came so you don't have to try to be good anymore. You just have to follow Jesus. You don't have to say, live and let live and just sit back and do nothing anymore. You can do something, which is put your faith in Jesus Christ. The only weakness that I would suggest with the four chapters I've got here is this gap in the middle here. We've got creation and then we've got restoration. All things will be restored. All things will be made whole. This is the only hope that we can hold. Like this morning, I talked about the death of a child, the most horrific thing that could happen to anyone to lose a child. The only hope that we have is that one day everything will be restored. One day there will be the resurrection of the dead, lost ones that you've lost, broken relationships and friendships you had that are lost. One day everything will be restored. All the injustices, the betrayals, the things that have happened to you, the horrible things over your life, you'll be vindicated one day. Everything will be set right. Everything will be made whole. There will be full restoration. But still that doesn't answer the question, what do I do now? Without, with this gap in the middle here, you know what we do now? We try and live story A, we try and live story B. <laughs> maybe kids will bring me satisfaction. Maybe this job and this status, maybe this money, maybe this bitterness, maybe this charity that I work for, maybe this sexual identity, whatever it is, we'll try and cram our own version in there. Even if you're a Christian that believes Jesus died on the cross, without chapter four, we still struggle to live out our own story rather than enroll in God's story. Chapter four is a chapter of renewal. He who is seated on the throne, King Jesus, says, I am making everything new. I put the little locator sign there because that's where we are today in history, in God's story. In, we're in a particular time, we're in a particular place, we live with a particular people. That's your locator right there. There's a story and it's huge. It's eternal. Some of you are sitting here this morning going, man, I can't get my head around this. Like Genesis to eternity, everything in between. Don't worry too much about all of that. Worry about today. Where are you in this moment? God has a plan for you as part of his great story. Time is changing quick, but you are in God's story. We get these glimpses of heaven in this renewal phase. You may have heard of the Asbury um, revival that's happening at the moment in Kentucky. It's kind of all over social media. There's some university kids that are getting touched by God. They've been having meetings for over two weeks now. And those little revival moments, it's just heaven. The restoration bit, the yellow bit, 
It just breaks through into the now. And we get this touch of heaven on earth, but then it vanishes and goes away. I've been in revivals before. I've been in revival meetings. I've seen miracles. I've done all of those things, but it comes and it goes. And we have these experiences and encounters. There's a moment in time where God encountered your heart so strongly that it just transformed you. Maybe you wept. Maybe you just had an utter moment of like, aha. Maybe you went from being a non-believer, maybe an atheist, maybe so far from God, maybe in prison, I don't know, but you met Jesus and your life got transformed. But that doesn't happen every day because we don't live in the yellow yet. That will happen every day when it's a new heavens and a new earth. We will live in the glory of God one day. But right now we live in this renewal phase where God is making things right. And heaven bursts into the now. Every now and again, a miracle happens. And what did Jesus say? He said, when a miracle happens, the kingdom of heaven has come to you. It pierces through into the earth, into the now. Something happens. But sometimes that can be difficult for us because if it's not happening all the time, we wonder if God's real. If it's not happening every day that I have those feelings of God transforming my heart, well, why am I doing this? Because we're not there yet. We're there, but we're not there. The kingdom has come, but it hasn't come. You've been saved, but you're being saved. You've been renewed through Jesus' work on the cross, but you need to be renewed still. That's the language of the kingdom of God. This is the sanctification time of renewal. That's a very, very long religious word, but it just basically means to grow spiritually, constantly growing spiritually as we follow Jesus Christ. Let's land this plane today and then we'll uh, we'll finish together with a little bit of prayer. How do I free myself from story A, story B, and enroll in God's big story? How do I get on the map with God So that my life isn't one of just making money and buying stuff and then I die and it didn't really affect God's story. My life is just one of worrying and fretting and concerns and breakups and bitterness and tough times and then I never really got part of God's story. How do you take your story and marry it with God's story? How do you align your life? Because I know lots of you sitting here are like, man, I want my life, Caleb, Pastor K, to be in, in, in line with God's life. I don't want to waste my time. Well, you could harshly reject the whole my story narrative. You could commit once again to prayer, to reading the Bible, the spiritual disciplines. You could take up responsibility for your Christian walk once and for all. Get your belief into line Pull it back together. Get your faith sorted out. That's an option. But guess what? That lands us back in story A, just with some Christian tags on it. We're back to trying harder, praying harder, going to church more often, and we're just back to that disciplined story A of performing for God, but now with spiritual stuff. We could sit back. We could sit back and say, hey, if God is God, just let him do it. I'm just going to sit back here. Man, if God wants to heal someone, he'll do it. If God wants to save my neighbor, he'll save my neighbor. I don't need to really put any effort in. I don't really need to align. If God wants to change my heart, he's God. Change my heart. There's an element of truth there. But then we're just back to story B. We just take our hands off the steering wheel and God will do it all. God will save the world. God will bring the kingdom. 
Look at those people in story A, you know, trying to march in the streets and do all the politics stuff and, you know, judge everyone and kick people out of their churches. You know, I'm doing it right over here. I just love people like Jesus loved people. You're just back in story B. It's just the live and let live with some Christian tags. I've got great news for you this morning because this is the gospel of Jesus we're going to talk about the next few weeks. It doesn't require working harder and it doesn't require working less. It requires faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the very essence of the gospel is that Jesus substituted himself for you. That's the essence of the gospel. Jesus wants to live your life for you. Jesus wants to live through you. Jesus wants you to live through him. It's not by works, it's by faith. It's not by doing nothing, it's by doing something, putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live. This is substitution. It's substitution language. It's a very, exactly what the gospel is. You should have died on that cross, but Jesus didn't die for you only. He actually died as you. He substituted himself into the place where you should have been judged. You should have come under the microscope. You should have had God on your back saying, hey, you're not living right. And Jesus substituted himself into your story so that you could live your life in his story. I no longer live, Paul says, but Christ lives in me. The life I lived in this earthly body, I live by trusting in the Son of God. Here it is, right here in the Bible. Can you believe it? I couldn't believe it as I do my research this week. I'm like, Galatians 2.20, oh my goodness, it's right there. It even says the life you live in this earthly body. So the life you live right now, right today, is meant to be lived trusting in Jesus Christ, turning your faith to Jesus Christ. The world will tell us, put your energy into high performance and be better and grow up. The world will tell us storyline B, just let go, just be free. Don't let all those people that are trying to stop you, stop you, just let go. Jesus says, just have faith in me. The gospel is so easy and so simple. Just look into my eyes and love me and let me love you. Just take five minutes and pray and spend some time with me and build a trusting, loving relationship. And then you'll live this life in your earthly body as if you were dead because Christ will be alive in you. And then out of the life of Christ in you, you'll have a job, but it'll be because of Christ in you. You'll do something great. Maybe you'll become a professional soccer player. Your kids will be an AFL star, but hopefully it's because of Christ in me. I went and did something great for God, not because of my discipline or because of my tolerance or because of my just letting myself live. No, because Christ is in me. Jesus' story can be your story and your story can be Jesus' story. This is the great freedom of the gospel that you can say, I no longer live. I don't need to push myself to burnout anymore. I don't need to be frustrated with my wife and my kids all the time because I no longer live. 
I don't need to stress and worry about my work situation and my money stuff and how I get money to buy the next thing and my status to wear the right clothes and do all that. I no longer live. I can put faith in Jesus Christ. Money will come and go. People will come and go. Life will happen, but I am putting my trust in Jesus Christ. This is the only way to enter into God's story. It's through faith in Jesus and by following Jesus Christ. You can't try yourself, behave yourself, talk yourself into God's story. We all fell short of that standard. The only way you can become part of God's kingdom is through the doorway of Jesus Christ. And it's a free gift from God that no human being ever deserved. The good news means that Jesus has substituted himself into the story of every person that believes in him. Said another way, if you believe in Jesus for the first time, if you believe in Jesus for the 1,000th time today, if you continue to put your faith in him, then Jesus actually is substituted into your story and lives life as you and you live life as him. What better way than to have the Son of God who rose from the dead that has all victory over darkness and death and depression and disease and everything living through you, living as you, living with you. Jesus, I just pray for everyone here as we close our eyes this morning. The gospel is something that we struggle to get our human minds around. To even understand in a 40-minute sermon, everything from creation to eternity, everything from Jesus as the Son of God to dying for us to living as us. Lord, we just put our minds aside for a second. I just really ask you to open your heart. Don't get caught in rationality this morning. That's... Storyline A, it's the rational, the smart people, the educated. (laughs) Put aside storyline B this morning, which is about justice and about the marginalized and about the tolerance and about just living free and letting everyone do this. Just put that aside this morning. Just open up your heart today. So often we're so focused on our own life and our own story working out that we forget to look at Jesus and to focus on Him.